0: sqpn.com presents the secrets of angels and demons our church is at war we are under attack from an old enemy one of the main themes in angels and demons of course is the age-old struggle between science and religion for centuries scientists have been trying to understand so many aspects of our world including the moment of creation It's a way of studying the origins of the universe, what some people call the God particle. The nature of the controversy is discussed all the time. I mean, science has been on this one track and and faith and uh, theology is on another track. Science and religion are not enemies. There are simply some things that science is too young to understand. Since the days of Galileo, this church has tried to slow the relentless march of progress. In our previous episode of The Secrets of Angels and Demons, we walked up to St. Anne's Gate at the Vatican, and we learned that the secret archives of the Vatican are a lot more open than Dan Brown suggests in his story. If you look up the notes that accompany the previous episode on the website, you can even find a link that leads you to the official website of The Secret Archives, where you can look around in the buildings yourself during a virtual tour thanks to advanced 360-degree QuickTime VR technology. Today we continue our examination of truth and fiction in Angels and Demons when it comes to these secret archives. Let's talk a little bit about um, the writings that are kept in there, especially the writings of Galileo, because those are the documents that Langdon needs to research in order to find out uh, where, where to find these locations um, that Bernini chose f- uh, to, uh, to show the way to the path of illumination. Because, as you remember, the uh, Illuminati, we'll talk about that movement later on, um, they, um, they want to kill these four cardinals as a kind of a, a retaliation, retribution for, um, I think, four scientists that supposedly were murdered by, by the Vatican in the past in their anti-scientific uh, uh, um, crusade. And so um, Bernini, having been part, according again to Dan Brown, uh, of uh, the Illuminati, had hidden clues. Uh, in his statues, in his creations, uh, in various locations, and Galileo had um, had written down um, some uh, some uh, some clues in his writings um, that might indicate where you could find those Bernini statues. And so uh, Langdon says, "Well, I need to get access." Uh, he goes to the Camerlengo to kind of force the issue, because normally, of course, it has to be reviewed. Uh, officially by the Pope, and that is, again, that is that is factual. Um, however, in reality, of course, there's there's a, a commission or, you know, some other person that is responsible that goes through these applications. Um, and so um, he asks the Camerlengo uh, to overrule all that and to grant him access right away. And if I wanted to help you, access to the archives is only by written decree by the curator and the board of Vatican librarians. Or... By papal mandate. Yes, but as you no know, doubt have heard, the Holy Father is dead. What about Il Camerlingo? The Camarlengo is just a priest here, the former Pope's Chamberlain. Doesn't the power of the Holy See rest in him during Tempestede Vicante? <laughs> Fellas, you called me. I don't know if, if I've mentioned this before, but the the way they show the Camerlengo as this super powerful dude who can decide just as if he were the Pope—that is not correct either. Um, the Camerlengo would always do that uh, together with other people. The, you know, it's not that he is this uh, uh, isolated ruler uh, that can decide anything. Um, all, all that would be done in in teamwork. Um, now that I mentioned this, I think I forgot to tell you last time when we were talking about um, uh, you know, the, what happens after the death of the Pope. Um, actually, um, there are three people that keep their jobs once the Pope dies. Normally, when a Pope dies, everybody has to step down, which is logical because you know, their power or their mission is always derived from the authority of the Pope. And so when, when the Pope is not there anymore, everybody has to step down. And only the, like the current affairs have to be carried on. And three people keep their jobs. It's the Camerlengo. Um, it is the, uh, let me see, I think it was the Secretary of State. No, wait a second. The, um, the Cardinal Vicar of, uh, of Rome. He also keeps his job and the Cardinal Prefect of the Apostolic Penitentiary. So it is correct um, that uh, the Camerlengo uh, has has a certain power, can make decisions, um, and in this case, uh, you know, might have granted permission for Robert Langdon to go inside the secret archives. However, uh, it's not this uh, uh, this is one uh, superpower um, in in this interbellum between one pope and another. I'm not sure if the word interbellum is a is the correct word. Anyway, so. Why Galileo? What's the problem with him? Uh, Were his writings really in the secret archives? Well, actually, yes, part of the documents concerning Galileo were part and are part of the secret archives. Um, As you know, uh, Galileo uh, got into trouble with uh, with the Catholic Church Um, but in order to try to make clear what the problem was and, and uh, why he got involved in that. I, I got to tell you a little bit about the genesis of this conflict. And it actually didn't start with Galileo, but much earlier on. Um, it, of course, the conflict seemed to center on the question, you know, how, how is the cosmos functioning? What is the place? What is what's the location of the earth? Um, and how does it relate to the other elements in the sky, the moon, the planets, the stars, the sun. And in ancient times, a philosopher like Aristotle um, developed this theory of the cosmos as being geocentric, which literally means it's centered around the earth, geos. And so um, this whole worldview that Aristotle um, developed took this, the, the Earth as the center of the universe, and then you'd have the skies above with the stars that are fict, fixed fixed uh, to uh, the, the, this outer sphere, and, uh, and everything seemed to revolve around the Earth. However, um, this, this worldview, as we know now, of course, is, is not correct. And um, Copernicus was one of the first uh, scientists that actually challenged this, and he did this uh, with the use of a lot of uh, mathematics to actually put forward the hypothesis, as he as he's named it uh, in in his writings, that you know if you would do the proper calculations, you would you could also assume the hypothesis that it wasn't actually uh, the universe that 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 circled around the Earth as its center but that it would be very different and that um, actually you would have a heliocentric um, model in which the Earth was just one of the many entities that floated around in space and, uh, and actually that the Earth was circling around the sun instead of the other way around. Now Copernicus... Um, let me just find my notes here. <laughs> Copernicus... Um, it's also mentioned by um, by uh, Dan Brown in his book, um, and he talks a little bit more extensively about Copernicus and his, his theories than we see in a movie. That would be too much exposition. Uh, but what Dan Brown tries to make you believe is that Copernicus was, uh, you know, had this huge conflict already, disagreement with the Church, and that. Um, he uh, he was afraid of of the pope and of the bishops, and that is why he waited with the publication of his uh, theory, um, which was called the uh, on the revolution of the heavenly spheres. This was his first, you know, book in which he tried to explain this heliocentric model uh, as opposed to the geocentric um, model, and and that he waited until his, in, well, almost literally to his deathbed to. Uh, to publish that book because he was afraid of the Pope. And actually, um, Dan Brown tells you that he has been murdered by the church because of his discovery of this heliocentric model. Um, Absolutely not true. Copernicus was a priest, and he had very good relationships with bishops and with the Pope. Uh, He lived in the 16th century. Uh, He wasn't murdered. He he reached the uh, nice age of 70 which at the time was a very old age and um actually he he had there was the pope didn't have a problem at all with copernicus quite on the contrary the pope several popes encouraged him to publish his his writings and were very interested and motivated him in his research so um the, the the reason that um copernicus published his uh, his book on the revolution of the heavenly spheres on his deathbed was that he he waited a long time he was very uncertain whether he should publish it not because he was afraid of the church or of the repercussions of his model but because he was afraid that people wouldn't understand um the mathematical side of it that they just wouldn't grasp the math behind it and since this was such a um a New theory with so many implications. He was just afraid that people just wouldn't get it, and that is why he he waited, um, according to historians. Now the other thing that is very interesting is that uh, once uh, once Copernicus b- published his uh, his book on the revolution of the heavenly spheres, basically his theory about a heliocentric cosmos. Um, quite on the contrary of what uh, Dan Brown wants you to uh, to think, uh, there was almost no murmur about it. You know, nobody talked about it. It was just okay. Well, interesting hypothesis, uh, interesting mathematics, and that's it. And people just stopped talking about it, ab- about this whole theory. So it didn't have at all. It wasn't this this huge bomb that went off in the world. <laughs> and um, and you know, his, his theory was just received in a very evenly uh, moderate moderate way. However, things uh, changed with the appearance of Galileo, who had a very different character from uh, Copernicus. Galileo was much more of a... He liked controversy. He liked kind of being in the limelight and uh, and, and, and being a little bit polemic. Now, Galileo um, brought Copernicus back to the forefront. Um, however, so he, he also... Uh, you know, had held talks about this heliocentric model and and promoting that uh, everywhere he came, wrote about it. Um, However, he did that, and this is very important uh, for the, you know, to understand the conflict and why uh, he he got a uh, a number of enemies and and was ultimately condemned by the Inquisition. This happened in the middle of this fierce war, this, this huge conflict between Protestants and the Catholic Church. And this was a a war of ideas. It was also oftentimes a literal war. This <laughs> is a very violent period. And so anything that challenged the authority of the church was seen as a threat. And uh, because that's what the Protestant Protestants had done uh, all the time. They'd been attacking the church and basically negating or denying the, their authority and the authority of the magisterium. And Galileo seemed to do the same, and that is why uh, some conservatives um, tried to get him condemned by the Inquisition. They, um, they saw his attack not, not as a scientific threat to uh, you know, the doctrine of the church. Uh, that wasn't the main problem. The problem was that Galileo seemed to imply that you know, the authority of the church is no longer valid. Because right, it's right here in science. Science is, has authority, has the real truth, and the church uh, not. And so it's much more conflict about, you know, who do you follow, who do you listen to, who has authority in this world? And much less of a scientific conflict. Um, now, these uh, people that tried to get him condemned by the Inquisition got what they wanted, and in 1616, um, Galileo was condemned, and his writings were... Uh, denounced as being false and heretical now he wasn't murdered he wasn't burned at the stake he was just put in his villa and got house arrest and so the pope could basically tell him what to do and he had to stay home Um, so you know (laughs) it was of course it must have been extremely frustrating for galileo and it was unjust uh, but if you if you know the the wider context and you'll understand that this was not really a, a result of a scientific clash as uh, much more you know a, a, like an overzealous reaction uh, in the context of this whole Protestant in insurgents and fear of people that the church would would lose its authority and thereby also its importance in the world now uh, so you know, Dan Brown gets, uh, mentions a lot, of, a lot of historical facts that can be verified, but he also got uh, uh, some stuff wrong when it comes to Galileo. First of all, he, uh, he implies, and this is very important in the plot, that uh, Galileo was affiliated with the, um, the Freemasons or the Illuminati. Now, these two organizations uh, are linked by Dan Brown and, you know, his new book is probably going to be about the Freemasons, so I don't know if he's got a bigger plot point that he wants to make, but anyway, he suggests that um, Galileo had an affiliation with the Illuminati, but as we will see in one of the future episodes, the Illuminati didn't even exist at the time. (laughs) They came into existence much later, so there were no Illuminati, so... (laughs) Galileo couldn't be affiliated with him, nor could um, Bernini have been. And so um, uh, there is a, a second uh, plot point uh, that is made up that is fantasy and not fact, and that is this infamous last book that Galileo uh, would have, is, is said to have written uh, towards the end of his life, or w- while he was uh, under house arrest in his villa. Um, this last book, according to the movie, according to uh, uh, the, the novel as well, is called Diagramma. And it was so controversial that it would have been published uh, in Holland. Of course, a liberal country and, you know, anything's possible there. Um, and then later on, the, the, this secret, secret last book, Diagramma, would have been confiscated by the Vatican and put in the secret archives and nobody could read it because it was too dangerous for the church and for faith. Well... Um, all historians agree here uh, this is pure fiction there is no such book called Diagramma (laughs) and so um, uh, another thing that you see is the discovery by Langdon and his assistant that uh, there's actually English writing on one of these pages, the the page that they tear out of the book Um, and this, uh, this secret English writing gives the final clue to the location of the first um, Bernini statue, or place, or location w- where they have to go search uh, if they want to prevent these cardinals from 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 getting killed. Um, however, again, historians say it's very unlikely that Galileo didn't know any English. Uh, England at that time wasn't important at all in the scientific arena. There was nothing happening of of interest, and so why on earth would Galileo? learn English. Uh, there was nothing to get there. It's just, it was just scientific backwaters in the, in the UK at the time, or in England at the time. So again, that is, uh, that is imagination, that is, uh, that is fiction. Galileo did belong to a scientific society. It's not a secret society, but it was a society. He was part of the um, Academy of the Lynx um, and he was very proud of that, and he also put their logo on his writings, and uh, you know. But that wasn't at all um, a society, a secret society opposed to the church, or you know, involved in any controversy. And I think it was dismantled, or it was just ceased to exist uh, when its founder died, and you know, that was even before uh, Galileo's condemnation. So that might be the only inspiration. Um, the only historical fact that Dan Brown might have used in order to make that link between Galileo and this, uh, this group of Illuminati. Um, now, of course we, we know that Galileo was right. And that, no, the sun and the moon do... Well, <laughs> the sun at least, not the moon does, but the sun does not revolve around the Earth, nor do the stars. We are just part of this big galaxy, and there are many, 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 many galaxies uh, in the cosmos. And so we, we now understand that uh, Galileo and, and Copernicus before him uh, were totally right in, uh, in, in trying to, uh, to question that geocentric view and uh, all this led in 1992 to a gesture by John Paul II. Of course you know scientists for centuries n- knew that you know the church had made a mistake there and should have never condemned Galileo because of his scientific views. Um, but in 1992, John Paul II, also in the context of this ongoing debate between um, people of the faith and people of the church and, and people of science, and this, this, this ongoing dialogue between, uh, between faith and, and the scientific world, um, wanted to, uh, to make a gesture. And so he officially revoked this condemnation of Galileo. And um, at the time, I, they said something very important. Galileo uh, they said, had a keener insight in how the Bible should be read than his persecutors. And I totally agree with that. And there is a very famous quote of Galileo, and um, I just want to mention that, because um, I think it's a very good one. Uh, Galileo uh, said once, the Bible teaches how to go to heaven, not how the heavens go. And I think that, that is a very respectful Quote, of course, both of of religion and of science, they all talk about their own realm. And they are not in opposition, uh, but they just talk about different realities. And uh, as I said before in in, in my first episode, uh, the the faith talks about um, why are we here and what is our goal in life, what is is the purpose of everything that exists, whereas science talks about how did things come about and how did this world evolve and when did that happen and for how long etc so different questions different answers but the um, the whole the whole plot of this um this this opposition between faith and uh and science is at the core of uh, of angels and demons and also uh, as we discover later on in the story is is the reason uh, that um, what the, that the Camelango, uh did what he did and um, and I think that we need to talk about that a little bit more about science and faith so uh, we might talk about that in one of the future episodes but for now I think this is enough uh, when it comes to the secret archives here in the Vatican beyond this city wall here um, so again, um, it's not a secret as secret uh, as you might think uh, when you read Angels and Demons. And I think it's now time to follow um, our uh, Professor Langdon and rush over to the Pantheon and, uh, and try to follow these same traces, all these Bernini traces and, and coded messages um, that um, will hopefully lead us through the story. And so next time I'll be, uh, I'll be talking to you from the Pantheon in Rome. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Secrets of Angels and Demons. I hope you enjoyed it. If so, um, you might want to leave a review on, on iTunes. Um, you can also go to sqpn.com for more information about this show's for other um, programs that I produce. SQPN is the website of the StarQuest production network and um, again, uh, that's also the place where you can find more information, more shows, and where you can leave also comments. I hope to see you next time. I hope you enjoy this. And uh, if so, um, stay tuned and uh, keep downloading these shows and tell your friends and family about them. From Rome, from uh, the, uh, well, underneath the buildings of the state, of the city of the Vatican, I say goodbye. Thank you for listening. I'm Father Roderick. God bless.